As we heard in the kids' talk this morning, uh, it's important in all aspects of life to make progress, to have goals, to move forward. Uh, Whether it's your proficiency in your career or your hobby or just you as a person, uh, it's important that you're always looking to be better than what you were 12 months ago. It could be your goal to achieve a better performance rating in your appraisal this year at work. It could be your goal for your weight to go down this year. Uh, For me, one of my personal goals is that I can fit into one of my old business suits again. Um, I know that's a slight exaggeration, but that's what I see in my head. Uh, My suits, they're getting a bit tight lately, and I just got to slim down a little. I suppose I'm a bit of a cheapskate. I don't want to buy a new suit. Unfortunately, Easter hasn't been helping. As I catch myself eating chocolate egg after chocolate egg. But I'm sure after Easter, once all the chocolate is gone, I'll eventually hit my goal. As you can see, I've got lofty goals for myself this year. Setting goals, moving forward. It's a healthy mindset to have. But while we're good at making and goals or looking to make progress in all sorts of areas of life, well, how about making progress as a Christian? Uh, moving forward in your relationship with God. Is that something you aspire to? I reckon for some of us, uh, this is something that we actually don't often think about. Uh, while we're making progress on all other parts of our lives, we may not have that same sense of urgency to move forward in our lives as Christians. If anything, some of us here might be finding ourselves stagnant as a Christian, where we've been in a, a spiritual rut, or we could be just coasting, and there's not much difference in our Christian life year after year. But it's important for Christians to make progress. And as Paul comes to the end of his letter, he tells the Thessalonians how to make spiritual progress, how to move forward as Christians. And Paul spells out three practical things that we can do to go forward. And he spells one great confidence of what God will do that will make sure we do go forward. And this morning, the first three things, we're going to see three ships. And the first ship is leadership. And in particular, the leadership in our church family. Uh, Please have a read with me, verse 12. It says this. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Uh, Now notice uh, the three characteristics of a leader. Firstly, they're people who work hard among the Christian family. Uh, That word work in the original is the word for manual labor. You see, I don't think you can be in Christian ministry and be a slacker. Now, I've only been here at Abbotsford Presbyterian for only over two months, and I can tell you, that the staff team here work incredibly hard. Peter M., Carmen, they work exceptionally hard. 
But it's not just the paid staff that Paul's talking about here. Uh, There are many volunteers in our church family who put in incredible hours, unpaid every single week. It's our elders. It's our committee of management. It's our growth group leaders. It's our kids' church leaders. It's our Y Central leaders. It's our scripture teachers. It's our mainly music leaders. Now, I'm not blowing their trumpet, but I'm just saying that this is the way it is. People, these people, these leaders, they're hard workers. Uh, The second characteristic is that these people care for you in the Lord. Uh, Now, the word care in the original here is actually the word to be in charge over, to have responsibility of. So it's a, a servant leadership that carries a level of authority. And it's the type of authority and care like a father of the family. Like a father laying down his life for his wife, for his kids. And a father is to direct, to care for, to protect. That's the type of leadership. That's the type of pastoral care that is needed for a Christian leader. The third characteristic is that these people are people who admonish the community. And that word admonish, it means to warn. To warn people against bad behavior. To to pull them up when they're doing the wrong thing. It's it's having the tough conversation. So if this is what our leaders are to be like, well, how am I to respond? Well, verse 13. Hold them in the highest regard, in love, because of their work. Because your leaders are working hard for you, taking responsibility over you, admonishing you when needed, where to hold them in the highest regard, in love, which means to deeply respect them, but doing that lovingly. Now, if we took our cue from how the world treats our leaders, we would either like them or despise them, but we'll do it all depending if they're doing things the way we like. But that's a recipe for no growth. And what Paul is saying here is, don't put your leaders on a pedestal, but don't despise them. Instead, respect them, love them, Because of their work for you. Because they're given the task of being responsible for you, and they work hard. How we deal with our leaders is critical to our spiritual progress. So leadership, that's the first ship. The second ship that helps us move forward as Christians is fellowship uh, that we have with each other. Uh, Now notice the things... Uh, that Paul says he asks the brothers and sisters in this next verse uh, to do something. And the actual things that you would actually expect those in leadership to do. Uh, Please read verse 14 with me. He says this. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. 
Uh, that word warn in verse 14, it's the exact same word used in verse 12, to admonish. So admonishing, warning, is something we all need to do with each other. It's just not the leader's job. And likewise, we as a church community are to encourage the disheartened, to help those who are weak in their faith. Again, this isn't something that just the leadership do. It's something that us as a church family together do for each other so that we can all keep going forward as Christians. And, And did you notice how Paul ends off verse 14? He says... Be patient with everyone. Paul reminds the Thessalonians, and he's reminding us that we need to be patient when ministering to those in our church family who have deep needs or have deep hurts. Because people don't always respond or heal or grow as fast as we think they should. You see, patience values other people enough to give them the room and the time they need to progress and develop and for that to happen in God's timing, not ours. And at the end of the day, uh, we need to remember that well, God's the one who's been infinitely patient with us. People who are broken, people who are rebellious, And because we know how good it is to be on the receiving end of of patience, well, we too need to be patient with each other. Now, on a similar note, Paul goes on to talk about how we're to respond to someone who wrongs us and how we're not to retaliate, but we're to do the very opposite. Uh, Please read verse 15 with me. He says this. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Now that is extremely hard for all of us. It's against our natural tendency. It's our natural tendency to, to always get back at them. If someone sends me a grumpy email, I want to shoot one back with capitals. Uh, We heard in the kids' talk this morning what's like driving at Birkenhead. It's easy to press that horn. It's easy to wave that fist. If someone has wronged me, I want to wrong them back. But Paul's saying that this isn't something we're to do. Again, we need to remember that what God has done for us, he didn't pay back our wrong with wrong, but gave us what we didn't deserve. He sent his son to die on the cross so that our sin could be dealt with, so that we can be forgiven, so that we could be given a second chance with him. And as God continues to be patient with us, as we, as we continue to wrong him, well, he wants you, he actually wants me to do the same thing for that person who's wronged us. Is there someone like that in your life right now? 
If so, what, well, what steps do you need to take to not pay them back with wrong, but to pay them back with, with, with what's good for them? We now come to the third ship uh, for the, how, how the Thessalonians have to make progress, and it's our worship. Now, I hesitate using this word worship because it's a very misleading word. Because our worship, as you know, just isn't just what we do here on Sunday. It's not what we're just doing now. Worship is how we relate to God in all of our lives. And so while in a sense we do worship here, we go home to worship God after the service as we worship God with our whole lives during the week. And in verses 16 to 18, Paul speaks about how worship is doing the will of God. And he talks about three expressions of that in the Christian life. And that first expression, verse 16 says, Rejoice always. Now, a logical question about that command there, rejoice always. What does it mean to rejoice always? It doesn't mean that Christians are to always be happy Therefore, I can't be anxious or sad or angry. As we've seen in Thessalonians two weeks ago, rejoicing doesn't necessarily mean happiness. Because happiness is dependent on your circumstances having a positive impact on you. Whereas joy is having one's delight, one's perspective, totally independent on outside circumstances. And the joy for the Christian is to, to have that peace, to have that assurance, to have that confidence that God is in control. Now, though it's, it may be really unpleasant for you right now, we know that he'll carry us through to the end and that we know that the end will be a glorious one. So joy is Noah in the ark saying, hey, this isn't that great. It's stormy outside. It's smelly inside. But I'm traveling from one shore to the next. And so I will rejoice. The Christian says, I'm in Christ. I'm traveling from one shore to the next. So I will rejoice. That's Christian joy. Uh, the second expression uh, that we see there in the text, verse 17, to pray continually. Now this doesn't mean praying all the time because that actually would be uh, not doable, it would actually be ridiculous. But it does mean praying anytime, wherever you are, to actually pray a thank you, a request, a confession. See, what's talked about here is having a particular disposition in life where, where prayer is an expression of our continual dependence on God in everything. Where we'll be praying throughout the day, not just in the morning or at night, not just over meals, but constantly talking to God and committing everything that we go through in life during the day to Him. Uh, quickly, the third expression is to give thanks in all circumstances. Verse 19. Now the, the logical question for this one is, well, how can I be thankful when the circumstances are horrible? 
when I'm in the midst of a tragedy? How can I be thankful when, when I've lost my job, or I've been diagnosed with cancer, or when I lose my child? The thing we have to understand in these verses is that, or verse 18 says, give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. You see, Paul's very specific here. Paul's saying, is, he isn't saying that you have to thank God for those tragedies that happen in your life. But what he is saying, that in the midst of those tragedies, in the midst of those circumstances, whether they're good or whether they're bad, there's always something to thank God for, despite the circumstances that you're in. So I won't thank God for the circumstance I've got, I've got no job at the moment, or that my health is failing. And even though my soul's crushed, I can still thank God for what he has provided me with, for how he has blessed me. And I can thank God that he'll give me the strength and all that I need to get through each day. And that he'll grow my faith in him through this experience. Now at the heart of all these commands that we see from verses 16 to 18, they actually aren't so much things you do, but they're actually expressions of what you really believe in God. They're expressions of your convictions of who you think God is. So, do we really believe that God's salvation is of more value than the cost of persecution? More value than the cost of suffering? If so, then we'll demonstrate that conviction by rejoicing in the midst of it. Are we really persuaded that God will deliver his people and do what's right on their behalf? If so, then we'll pray with persistence, we'll pray with patience, and we'll wait and watch expectantly for God to act. Are we generally convinced that in all things God works for the good of those who love him? If so, then let us demonstrate that conviction by giving thanks in all circumstances. It's through us growing in our understanding of who God is that we'll make progress as Christians as we respond rightly to him in all of life. Uh, the other way we're to make progress as Christians is actually depending on God's word through his spirit. And that's what verses 19 to 22 are about. And verse 19 talks about this phrase. It's a weird phrase. Not quenching the spirit. Now, can I get you to actually put your finger in 1 Thessalonians 5? We'll come back to 1 Thessalonians 5. Flick back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. It's just a couple of pages there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5 says this. Because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You see, the way that God works in us is actually through His Spirit, applying His Word to our hearts. And so quenching the Spirit means neglecting God's Word, not paying attention to it. Instead, what we're to do is actually do the reverse, to get stuck in God's Word, to take the time to listen to what He has to say to us. 
And so if you flick back to chapter 5 where we were, chapter 5 verse 20, well, it mentions the word prophecies there. Now, just to define that word there, a prophecy is actually a timely application of God's word to a specific moment. So prophecy doesn't have to be predictive. Prophecy doesn't have to be about the future. It can include a present-day application of God's word. So I would say that what I'm doing right now is prophesying. I would say that your conversations over morning tea about God's word will be prophesying. I'll say that the discussion of the Bible passage at Growth Group this week will be prophesying. But do you notice what we're to do with prophecies in verse 20 and 21? It's not to despise them, but to test them. That is, to examine them, to test them, put them against Scripture, and keep hold what is good from the prophecy and reject what's, what's bad. You see, studying God's word in community like this, depending on the spirit, is a key way for us to move forward as Christians. Uh, so this morning we've seen three ships of how we can make progress as Christians in relation to leadership, in relation to fellowship, and in relation to our worship. But Paul finishes his letter by showing the Thessalonians and to show us what God will do in helping us move forward. And what we see in verse 23 is a prayer. It's a prayer that uh, that Paul's praying that God himself will be the one who will grow us and ensure us that we'll make sure we'll we'll be making progress. Uh, Please have a look at verse 23 with me. It says this. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ah, the word sanctify. Uh, We saw that word two weeks ago. It's the word for us to be made holy, for us to be refined, for us to be made more like Jesus. And did you notice what Paul says next when he prays this? In verse 24. Please have a look at that. Verse 24, he then says, The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Uh, Paul ends his prayer with the promise of God's character. That God is the one who's faithful. That God's the one that you can rely on for him to do that work of sanctification in us. You see, Paul is confident that God will answer this prayer in the affirmative. You know, it's like um, what's happening with me right now. I'm planning to go to Hamilton Island for for a holiday in four weeks' time. And for any holiday, you've always got a part to play. You've got to do some planning, get your ticket, pack the luggage, organize transport. But in the end, I'm going to be taken to Hamilton Island. A plane is going to fly me there. You see, I don't have to do the long journey myself. I'm not going to get there on my own two feet. Something that's bigger than me will get me there. And in the same way for us, when it comes to making progress as a Christian, we've got a part to play, and God has a part to play. 
there is something bigger than us who will get us there. So as we set goals for us to move forward as Christians in the year 2019, to grow in our relationship with Jesus, well, it it doesn't mean that we do nothing and, and we just leave it all up to God. But it does mean that we're not alone on the journey. We're not trying to get there by ourselves. God is with us. And he wants us to stand blameless on that last day. And he'll do everything in his extraordinary power to make sure we do. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that by your great patience and love for us, it's through Jesus that we can be forgiven. It's through Jesus that we can have a relationship with you. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will keep shaping us by your gospel, that you will transform all our relationships, that we'll be real with each other, that we will love each other, that we'll be patient with each other. Please protect the unity that we have in our church family. Please equip all our leaders to continue to work hard, to care and to admonish. Heavenly Father, please grow us that we may always rejoice, continually pray, and give thanks in all we go through. And we pray that you will sanctify us through and through, and that you'll keep us all blameless till that day when Jesus returns. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.